and welcome to the show. Going to be doing a bit of a victory dance and maybe the final dance today. Um, it is pretty rough around here. And um, let me get it together. What's going on is um, all those transformers. But here's the thing. After 25 years, I know exactly who they are and what they are up to. So, you'll have to excuse me today because um, radiation sickness is something else. And keep in mind, so I don't have to nag you throughout this show, all of the things I will be talking about in this show today, things about our bodies and electricity, um, the way that this thing has been rigged with them being from Saturn, all of these things and how they are harvesting electricity through the air and then charging us for it because we never needed electricity. All of these subjects I have covered and laid out exactly how I got here in the last few months, okay? So if you feel confused about why she's so concerned about electricity and stuff, it's because we never needed electricity. So anyways, because we came from a very advanced society. So pull up a chair, it's gonna be a good one because, um, well, here's the thing. I figured out this, it kept feeling like, um, it kept feeling like these nuclear plants had some significant meaning there, right? Um, because I've been just, you know, and remember, you know, as of a few months ago, I also had no awareness of, well, I'm 72 years old. Of course, I heard about nuclear plants and stuff and these nuclear explosions, but did it really register in my brain? No, not really. Um, and I think that's probably typical of a lot of people. Um, and, you know, I, I knew these words, okay. I could have picked out the word Oppenheimer, the guy from Manhattan Project. But did I have all the pieces? No way. I had no pieces of this together really in my brain. Was I taught any of this? I really can't tell you. I must have been because I remember some key words. <laughs> so... It's been a lot to unpack, especially the last few months. So what I'm gonna be doing today is, um, I'm a million percent convinced, and I'll show you all the data today that got me here, that wars, the wars we had, the bombing of Japan, and then the bombing of Marshall Island, the bombings that went on the Polygon, all of these things I have covered in shows in the past, in the last few months, okay? And what, I, what I'll be going through today is I, put to, I had put together a mini timeline because I love those timelines. <laughs> so, <laughs> I put together a mini timeline and I kept looking and thinking, whoa, 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 wait a minute here. Yeah, so I'm a million percent. Well, the wars are likely to also rob and, rob and do for blood sacrifices and for money. Wars are for money, right? But just follow along with me today and I am of the conclusion that they needed to have the wars to test these bombs to then be able to use them to develop nuclear power. No doubt in my mind. Not a single doubt in my mind, okay? And it is exactly what I've been saying for years. Evil comes packaged as help in order for us to accept it, right? So just like vaccines, we never needed electricity. So let me start off with a little bit of a, 
kind of some more information about who these people are and what they worship, okay? They worship Saturn, okay? And Saturn was a god in ancient Roman religion. Sorry, I always have to keep checking to make sure I'm still logged on. Okay. Okay, Saturn was a god in ancient Roman religion and a character in Roman mythology. He was described as a god of time, generation, dissolution, abundance, wealth, agriculture, periodic renewal, and liberation. Saturn's mythological reign was depicted as a golden age of abundance and peace. After the Roman conquest of Greece, he was conflated with the Greek Titan Cronus. See, I believe that this is a cut and paste operation, that the Greeks were really the Romans. So, okay, so after the Roman conquest of Greece, he was conflated with the Greek Titus Cronus. Saturn's consort was his sister, oops, that's O-P-S, with whom he fathered, so he, Saturn, Saturn fathered children with his sister, okay, with whom he fathered Jupiter, Neptune, Pluto, Juno, Cirrus, and Vesta, okay, so Pluto is in there, right, so we'll be talking about Pluto today, because where did plutonium come from? Well, the root word is Pluto. See, th this is a um, cut and paste operation that has been created on the game board for us, right? These people took over, they created all of this stuff, and um, we, being totally unaware of what evil was, just went along for the ride, essentially, for the last several generations, right? Um, so, and these are their beliefs, okay? And I'm not going to go overboard on describing this stuff because I have already done shows about all this stuff, okay? Saturn was especially celebrated during the festival of Saturnalia each December, perhaps the most famous of the Roman festivals, a time of feasting, role reversals, free speech, gift-giving, and revelry. The Temple of Saturn in the Roman Forum housed the state treasury and archives of the Roman Republic and the early Roman Empire. The planet Saturn and the day of the week Saturday are both named after and were associated with him. Now, also, Saturnalia is why we celebrate Christmas. That's where we get the red and gold and all the recent stuff from. What they've done is they have the general public worshiping their satanic things that they, they worship, okay? So, the foremost of the Roman subterranean deities, Pluto, was god of the dead and lord of the underworld. A figure of enormous dread and terrible might, Pluto dispensed luck and controlled the fates of all mortals. As commander of the subterranean realms, he was the master of ores, metals, and the precious stones found within them. For this reason, he was celebrated by many as a bringer of wealth. Pluto was the Roman counterpart to Hades, the Greek deity who ruled the underworld of the same name. 
the crystallization of Pluto's identity as the Roman god of the dead, the underworld, and wealth reflected a complex historical development. Pluto's identity was largely comprised of elements. Remember, we're also talking about elements, right? Uranium, these elements, their element charts, and all that. Largely comprised of elements taken from two distinct entities, Hades, a Greek deity, and Pluton, P-L-O-U-T-O-N, the Lord of Wealth. The latter was a deity worshipped by early Romans for his power over the underworld and mineral wealth. In some mythographic and his histographic traditions, the name Dis, D-I-S Pater, P-A-T-E-R, was used in lieu of the name Pluto. Evidence suggests that the Romans used these identifiers interchangeably, and keywords are the key to looking more for yourself because Pluto is mythology you will find many interpretations I've tried to bring you the easy and least crazy one okay <laughs> okay um, etymology the name Pluto rendered as Pluto in the Latin was derived from the Greek name Pluton p-l-o-u-t-o-n meaning the wealthy one. This name was an aspect of the deity Hades, one that highlighted the control over subterranean sources of mineral wealth. The name was also rooted in the ancient Greek noun Plutos, P-L-O-U-T-O-S, meaning wealth or riches. So it can mean the wealthy one, right? But it's also from a deity called Hades, right? Dispater, D-I-S-P-A-T-E-R, another one of Pluto's names used widely by early Romans, was ultimately derived from the Proto-Indo-European words meaning God and Father. In Latin, the word deus, D-E-U-S, hmm, in Spanish, deus means two. Okay, in Latin, the word deus, God, and pater, Father, so, extremely similar names were given to Jupiter, the greatest of the Roman gods. The similarity of these titles suggests that Dispater, or Pluto, was originally an aspect of Jupiter. <laughs> these things can really go into some mind flips. <laughs> In time, this aspect became independent of Jupiter and eventually merged with the Hellenic god Hades. So Hades is what you're looking for, okay? So um, Pluto was the lord of the subterranean under, and what I did here, just, just to be clear, is I found a bunch of sources over off of Yandex that were talking about Pluto, people who were into all this mythology stuff. So it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily from one particular text, okay? Pluto was the lord of the subterranean underworld, which in Roman mythology served as the resting place of departed souls. He lived underground in a gloomy palace and seemed to have little interest in the world of men. Likewise, Pluto seldom involved himself in godly affairs. 
he rode a chariot, carried a staff, and was often depicted wearing a warrior's helm. Pluto was often accompanied by Cerebus, C-E-R-B-E-R-U-S, a three-horned hound that served both as his pet and guardian of the underworld. Pluto's parents were, oops, it <laughs> always makes me laugh. <laughs> Some of these crazy things never, never, never stop being funny to me, okay? So Pluto's parents were, oops, O-P-S, goddess of the earth and Saturn, ruler of the cosmos. So Pluto's, pa Pluto's parents were, oops, <laughs> goddess of the earth and Saturn, ruler of the cosmos. His brother Jupiter, the mightiest of all gods, freed Pluto and his siblings from their father's wrath. These siblings included Neptune, lord of all waters, Juno, the matron goddess, Vesta, guardian of hearth and home, and Ceres, C-E-R-E-S, a fertility goddess associated with agriculture. So, in ancient Greek religion and mythology, this mythology means stories, right? Fantasies. Pluto was the ruler of the Greek underworld. These people are all psychopaths, right? They're all rulers of something, right? <laughs> the earlier name for the god was Hades, which became common as the name of the underworld itself. Sources of great power and destruction also exist in the underworld realm, including latent volcanoes, glaciers, and gases. <laughs> Pluto rules atomic energy, the hidden power within matter itself. Pluto was believed to be the one who brought all the gold, silver, and other underworld goods to Earth on his occasional visits. He does show up as a supporting character in some myths, but he does take the lead in one story. And I don't know, did I cut off the story? Yeah, I cut off the story. Um, <laughs> but it was some story. Um, it said, once upon a time, there was a goddess named Peresophone, and it's P-E-R-S-E-P-H-O-N-E. -E -E. so, yeah, I cut off <laughs> what the story was. <laughs> So, I guess he shows up as a lead in this story, but anyways, this is all speculation, so I'm not going to go crazy right now and start searching to get you the exact right words. <laughs> um, Pluto doesn't have many myths because the agents were more concerned with gods that could help them in life rather than ones that mostly mattered after death. That's an interesting perspective, right? So... Um, the foremost of the Roman Clotic is called C-H-T-H-O-N-I-C, Clotonic, means subterranean deities. Pluto was god of the dead and lord of the underworld. A figure of enormous dread and terrible might, Pluto dispensed luck and controlled the fates of all mortals. As commander of the subterranean realms, he was the master of ores, metals, and the precious stones found within. 
For this reason, he celebrated as a bringer of wealth. Okay. Um, Pluto's identity. See, they always have two distinct entities. Hades, the Greek identity, and Pluton, the lord of wealth. So we've already talked about that, so let's scroll down here. Um, um, I already talked about this this pattern business. So if you're interested, go look up more of the etymology because remember, this is all kind of a guessing game, right? <laughs> okay. Um, Pluto was the lord of the subterranean underworld, which in Ro <coughs> Roman mythology served as a resting place of departed souls. He lived underground in a gloomy palace. Oh, I talked about that. Um, I think we're done with this person, but yeah, go look up at Pluto. <clears throat> the gold chariot that Pluto rides around him kind of reminds me of the gold chariot. <laughs> Those freaks from the city of London, go look at my timeline. I hope to get to edit it one day. If somebody wants to help me with a donation, I really need to hire an editor to edit that page. But anyways, my timeline over on my website, go look at that chariot they ride around in. Because when the city of London has an um, event, <laughs> they get all dressed up in red jackets with gold. Because <laughs> red is the color of Saturn. And they ride around in this big gold chariot. So this, some of this stuff never never stops being funny, okay? How crazy it is, right? So yeah, Pluto rides around in a gold chariot. Carries a staff. They also carry a staff, right? Remember the, the Pope's carrying that staff and stuff? And the helmet. Um, and the three-headed serpent. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how I said this again. Okay, but <clears throat> this is a new one. Pop culture. The name of the Roman god of the underworld resonates today in the name of the planetary object Pluto, formerly the ninth and final planet in the solar system, now demoted to the status of dwarf planet. I don't know about any of this stuff. So Pluto was formerly the ninth. See, that's interesting, the ninth, right? Discovered in 1930 by the American astronomer Clyde Tombaugh, Pluto resides on the Cooper Belt at the edge of the solar system beyond Neptune. The name Pluto... <laughs> I don't know who sits around and makes all this stuff up, but it's pretty funny. The, the name Pluto was suggested by Venetia Burney, an 11-year-old Roman mythology... I don't know. And the board members of the selected from a list of names that also include Minerva and Cronus. So they had one of them named Cronus. Now Cronus is the one we were talking about. The name was later used by the animator Walt Disney who gave it to Mickey Mouse's pet dog Pluto. Remember Pluto from the cartoons? <laughs> they had that cartoon Spongebob I think he's over in Bikini Atoll, you know, where they did all the horrors and the murders. And I'll be, I have more about that today, but yeah. If you really want to see some horror, I'm going to move on to a couple of news things now. Um, uh, I've, I've been looking around the world <laughs> um, 
And for me to say this is a pretty big deal, okay? This, by far, by far, is one of the most insanely destructive nuclear power operations that is going on right now, okay? <clears throat> now, remember, <clears throat> I, I haven't checked on China yet, okay? <laughs> so I may have to <coughs> take back... <coughs> I may have to take back my words because I'm only talking about India. And I, yes, I do need to look into China, but I watched this documentary and uh, it's called The Horrific Effects Nuclear Power Had on Civilians in India. The Horrible Effects Nuclear Power Had on Civilians in India. I mean, it is rough going, okay? They're, these people are not using even single gloves, okay? And the amount of children that are starting to crop up from this. Remember, with India and these countries, this has only been going on, so we're only looking at the first generation or so of highly deformed children starting to show up. And, um, yeah, it, 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 it'll take fair warning. But we got here because we looked away, okay? So go look for yourself it is something else and it just shows uh, um, it shows the depravity of these people okay their um, their their ways to get money at the cost of human life is just well it's better if I don't get into a rampage about that part right now okay so anyway so because I oh this is another news thing so let me just take a breath here so anyway, so this this whole nuclear thing has all been run by secrets, okay? It's been run by secrets and documents put as secrets, okay? And what those secrets did from the very beginning was they got a lot of us working class people to join them. And when you start to look around, what you're going to find is that these jobs in the 50s were well-paying, okay? So they attracted people who wanted to build wanted to be able to feed their children so they were well paid they appeared to be legitimate and they were all secret that's how this whole game has been run secrecy so speaking of secrecy I wish I you know here's one time I think it was a bad move for them to handicap me and try to disable me the way that they have because the amount of transformers around my house is a bit excessive right now. <laughs> they really are devious people. So, um, so um, yeah. So, so what has that done? Well, it has given me um, more time. When you're completely handicapped, the only way to deal with this level of pain is <laughs> keep focused and keep busy. So, it was kind of a mistake because. If, if they knew who we were, they would have considered their options, right? Because for somebody like me, maybe a bullet in the head might have been more effective because <laughs> this route has only made me more focused. So the more um, damage they've tried to do to my DNA and my household, uh, well, we have more time to look, right? And I just thought the other day, I thought, you know what? So that's the upside to being handicapped is you have a lot more time to nose around, right? <laughs> but here's the downside. July the 11th to 12th, and this is June the 19th, okay, of 2023, NATO is meeting. 
And I mentioned before that my show, when it uploads, it always goes to Virginia and Brussels. Who's in those places? Well, <laughs> you take a guess, okay? So, um, anyway, so this is the, this is the real downside to being handicapped because boy, would I love to be on a plane to go to this conference. <laughs> you know, there was this thing in the past that corporations, I know in the 50s and stuff when I was growing up, that there was these corporate policies that, um, how do I word this? Um, well, there were, I, and I don't know, I don't even know why this came to my mind. <laughs> but <laughs> there is this policy that corporate, when you worked for a big corporation, that they did not allow multiple executives from the same corporation to fly on a plane together, which made a lot of sense, right? Because of plane crashes and stuff. Well, these people are so bold that for some reason, it seems like they must have pretty tight security around these places. Um, and I won't even tell you the jokes that ran through my head, okay? <laughs> the 2023 Vilnius, V-I-L-N-I-U-S Summit is an upcoming NATO summit scheduled to take place on 11 to 12 July 2023 in Vilnius, the capital of Lithuania. The summit was officially proposed during the 2022 Madrid summit. So yeah, and what they're doing is they're announcing all these arm packets and um, sending depleted uranium into um, into um, the U.S. is sending depleted uranium into um, Ukraine. Well, we knew they were going to do this all along. Not a big surprise. And uh, so, yeah, so they're going to be talking about these weapons packages um, coming up. And uh, one thing I had really, I don't know why it's here, it'll come up later, is napalm. Um, you know, I came up with a slogan the other day. I thought, so many respectable appearing people who are either evil or stupid. We are truly surrounded by nut jobs or psychopaths. Take your pick. Because I didn't know what a hydrogen bomb was, okay? Also known as the, uh, well, no, I knew what the hydrogen bomb was. Oh, I knew what the atom bomb, but we, did, we haven't talked about the hydrogen bomb, okay? So, and we'll need to know all this stuff in a bit. So, the fundamental difference between a hydrogen bomb and atomic bomb is the detonation process. For the atomic bomb, such as the ones dropped on Nagasaki, Nagasaki and Hiroshima, its explosive power is the result of the sudden release of energy upon splitting the nuclei of a heavy element such as plutonium. This process is known as fission. Okay. So. We're gonna take a walk here, okay? It'll make sense in a minute. Because there was this allegation that Oppenheimer was, they wanted, they did the, the first atomic bomb, okay? And then there was talk of the hydrogen bomb, okay? And there was a conflict. Remember, this is a big script, okay? Some of it could be real, and then some of it could be added to and played upon, right? 
So there were these allegations that Oppenheimer didn't want to have the um, hydrogen bomb because of the effect it would have on people. So there were some people saying, well, he um, wasn't happy that he was part of the atomic bomb, but that doesn't appear to be true. But anyway, so what happened was, was that then they came up with claims that um, he was a communist, okay? And that's how the whole thing worked. And then they had that red scare around the 50s. Now keep in mind, I don't think I'd mentioned this, but there were two red scares. Everything is always played out a couple times, okay? If you want to look further, there was a red scare in the early 20s that basically pitted people against people. <laughs> See how this all works? Then they had the red scare about the time of Oppenheimer, which made him suspect. And so they used that as a way to throw him out of places and stuff. Does this sound familiar? Exactly what they do now on social media, except they throw you out of, um, well, they throw you off of social media, and then you get to go hang out on BitChute for a while, and then you appear back on YouTube. And <laughs> so, frankly, the way this whole Oppenheimer thing played out with him being accused of a communist and all that kind of stuff reminds me exactly of the model that the folks at DARPA, also located in Virginia, are still playing around with, okay? So, so the difference is hydrogen bomb has more accelerants, okay? Years after the first, so years after the first atomic bomb was developed in New Mexico, the U.S. developed a weapon that relied on the technology of the atomic bomb, but expanded the detonation process to create a stronger explosion. That weapon is called a thermonuclear weapon, okay? And also, H-bomb. These things all have a lot of names, which are important to know. For a thermonuclear bomb, the detonation process comprises several parts, beginning with the detonation of an atomic bomb. The first explosion creates temperatures of millions of degrees, providing enough energy to force the two light nuclei close enough to combine in a second stage known as fusion. So fusion is part of this, right? Fusion is when they combine these things. Okay. Just keep in mind, there's nothing that we can't conquer, right? We do have the brain power. They have just kind of convinced us that, oh, this is all so complicated. You'll never get it. Yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> I totally get it, okay? Pam, so, so then there was this interview. Um, so the first explosion creates temperatures of millions of degrees, and then it forces a fusion, okay? And then because this came out of this thing I was, these interviews I was looking at, okay, by this person named Ham, who he is, I completely forgot, <laughs> but, but he wrote a book. <laughs> Ham isn't convinced that Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer felt remorse specifically for the bombing of Japan, which the scientists say may have viewed as a necessary evil. See, he, he viewed it as a necessary evil. Rather, he thinks that Oppenheimer was more concerned about the devastation that future nuclear war could bring, which I disagree with all of them because, now, I don't know how much Oppenheimer knew about 
was this all going into nuclear plants because probably all these people got into different parts of this aspect. So I'm not going to try to dig into Oppenheimer's head, but he does have a rather feminine looking face. <laughs> he definitely is a psychopath, probably didn't have a mother. Okay. So after the war, Oppenheimer took steps to present such a future, allegedly, according to me, according to them. He began working with the U.S. Atomic Energy Commission to control the use of nuclear weapons. In 1949, when Truman approached the commission about creating a hydrogen bomb, Oppenheimer opposed it. Despite his opposition, the U.S. developed an H-bomb. This is the only time this H-bomb has ever been tested, okay? And it was tested in 1952. And they say that Oppenheimer's resistance ended up costing him his job. During the McCarthy era, era the government stripped him of his job with the commission, citing his opposition to the hydrogen bomb as well as his purported communist ties. Oppenheimer's blacklisting had more to do with his stance on the H-bomb than his communist friends. No, I don't think it had to do with anything, right? Except for this is all a big big act and a game board, right? I mean, it would be make for a pretty boring story if Oppenheimer just was just some regular old Joe and <laughs> just didn't do anything. <laughs> they have to write the backstories to all this stuff. Detailed knowledge of fission and fusion weapons is a, uh, I was talking about classified. I already talked enough about that. Um, so almost every industrialized nation considers weapons classified. Um, let me see. Okay, here's what I, I started this all off with, okay? I was watching this documentary with Oppenheimer, and um, I didn't understand the difference between quantum theory, theory of matter, and all this stuff, um, nor do I understand it really, <laughs> but I understand a little bit better now, okay, because this stuff that he was involved in, theoretic physics, is where all of this stuff is a big deal, okay? So if anybody wants to look further into this, but my point is this, it was a turning point. When Oppenheimer became involved, it was a turning point, which makes him a pretty significant person here, right? So just, it, it, I, I've tried to present a very simplified version of this because I gotta tell you, my head was like spinning for a bit because I kept thinking, what's this quantum theory? What are they talking about? Anyways, quantum theory is a theory of matter and energy based on the concept of quanta, especially quantum mechanics. Now remember, they have taken all this stuff and made it all up, right? <laughs> and I believe that there's a lot of parts of this from what I've been looking is that there are a lot of parts of this that unless you're one of them, you may or may not ever understand because they've almost created into sort of a cult-like thing, right? That, um, and, and yeah, anyway, so you, you get my message. Anyway, it is used to explain the different features of the universe as well as reveal the individual behaviors of sub-atomic sub particles such as protons, electrons, neutrons, photons and others. Robert, his first name was, it was J. Robert Oppenheimer, 
and being a person of a million details, <laughs> somebody tracked down his birth certificate and his J, J he always hid. He never would say what J meant. Well, J meant Julius. J-U-L-I-U-S. Kind of like Julia. <laughs> okay, J. Robert Oppen J. Robert Oppenheimer made significant contributions to theoretical physics, including in quantum mechanics and nuclear physics. One of his achievements in physics is the Born Born Oppenheimer approximation for molecular wave functions. This approximation is the best known mathematical approximation in molecular dynamics and is widely used in quantum chemistry to speed up the computation of molecules, molecular wave functions, and other properties for large molecules. So he invented this way of figuring this stuff out, right? So um, well, why do I have this here? Um, so yeah, let me go. Let me get down here to the uh, timeline. Oh, I wasn't aware that the deal with Muammar Gaddafi um, and NATO, supposedly. Muammar Gaddafi ended up dead at the hands of rebels who were aided by NATO airstrikes. Well, well, I didn't know that. I thought it was because Gaddafi was trying to change the money into get off the dollar or something, which all of this is probably a lie, right? And now Libya is pretty much a slave state, right? But at that time, it was doing extraordinarily well. And these people don't want to see anybody do well. So did they take out Gaddafi? I don't know. I watched the, the, the so-called video of it. <laughs> Listen, when you start wearing turbans and stuff, really anybody could play some of these characters, right? <laughs> That's why I think the turban crowd has it all over the rest of the game board players. <laughs> but anyways, so, <laughs> so anyways, um, yeah, so they say that he took a... Uh, um, uh, I don't know, a sword. Anyway, so, um, I don't know. I watched the video. You can go watch the video if you want. My guess is that um, Libya was doing very well. They, the U.S. wouldn't like it them doing well. Maybe they weren't paying the city of London enough money, so somebody had to go, right? Did, did, did Gaddafi really go? Who knows? Probably sitting in some resort along with the guy from Iran. Who was that other guy? Um, <laughs> anyways, it's Solomini. Um, so anyway, so, yeah, did he really go? Well, I don't know. I, I, he probably didn't go with the way that they say he did because that just added for more drama, right? And uh, if, if you say somebody died in a really horrific way, well, you're probably going to get most of the people to think that he really died, right? <laughs> so probably, probably coming up with a fake horrific death probably makes more selling sense from a drama standpoint on a game board, right? So anyhow, so but the end result of that was that the country is now having open slave markets. So big turn at that point. But some allegate that it was him wanting to do nuclear. True or not? I don't know. So anyways, um, yeah, 
all of this stuff is really something else. As if, as if the other thing wasn't bad enough. Um, okay, so Jay or Julia Robert Oppenheimer was a theoretical physicist who was often referred to as the father of the atomic bomb due to his role as the director of the Los Alamos Laboratory during the Manhattan Project, which developed the first nuclear weapons during World War II. So after he becomes chairman of the um, Atomic Energy Commission, right? So that was when the U.S. also grabbed control of all this stuff, right? Because now all this stuff comes through these agencies. So um, the whole idea, of course, was to avert nuclear proliferation and a nuclear arms race with the Soviet Union. <clears throat> so let me get down here a little bit. Um, quantum mechanics was not discovered by a single person, but rather developed by a number of scientists over time. Because I think, I think here's the trick. I think within this quantum mechanics <clears throat> is some stuff that becomes their holy grail, right? Stuff that is where the big lie is locked up in. Because remember, they also cooked up all this other stuff. <laughs> the solar system, Pluto. <laughs> these are the same scientists that would be working at NASA on places, right? <laughs> well, these people have to know that NASA is made up of computer graphics, right? So we have a pretty big body of people that are pretty big liars when we look at scientists, right? So the history of quantum mechanics began with a number of different scientific discoveries, including the 1838 discovery of cathode rays. Um, so the 1859-60 winter statement of the black body radiation problem. See, back then, they were these, these quantum people <laughs> were doing the radiation stuff, right? That's why it's always good to always look for how this stuff gets started, right? So um, by the 1900s, the quantum hypotheses by Max Planck, a big name, that and any energy radiant atomic system can theoretically be divided into a number of discrete energy elements. Okay, so this was back, and they knew that could radiate energy. So here's because look at these dates. Okay, they had obviously taken over the Game Boy by this point. They knew electricity was bad for our bodies, right? And where the electricity get used in homes first in the United States, right? <laughs> so at this same time, these people are huddled together with this quantum mechanics and figured out this radiation stuff, right? Um, so building on this approach, modern quantum mechanics was born in 1925 when the German physicist Warner Heisenberg Max Born and Pasquale Jordan developed matrix mechanics and the Austrian physicist Erwin Schrodinger invented wave mechanics. Okay, so this is where they start really going with the stuff in 1925 with the quantum mechanics is what you're looking at, right? Probably a pretty special club they don't let many people into, okay? <laughs> so, I am really just guessing here about the quantum mechanics but remember 
they they run in a club, they hang in a club, they all go to the same schools. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's how you would keep a big lie concentrated amongst your own people, right? You make them the experts. So you come up with a really big lie, like the solar system or all this stuff. You put your own people in there huddled, <laughs> coming up and containing the lie, right? They become the professors at Harvard, all these esteemed intellectual positions, right? Okay, so J. Robert or Julia Oppenheimer, he studied quantum mechanics. He was in Europe during a pivotal time in the world of physics as European physicists were then developing the groundbreaking theory of quantum mechanics. Ding, 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 ding. In fact, he and Max Born proposed the Born-Oppenheimer approximation in 1927 during a period of intense ferment in the development of quantum mechanics. The, BO, the Born-Oppenheimer is also referred to as the BO approximation is the best known mathematical approximation in molecular dynamics and is widely used in quantum chemistry to speed up the computation of molecular wavelengths and other properties for large molecules. So, he made great contributions. He and Max Born published that famous paper, the Born-Oppenheiser thing. So, Oppenheiser or Julia is a monster deal in this, okay? And here's where it gets good. The development of nuclear power plants for electricity. I'm going to give you the lead, okay? And then I'll go through the timeline to how I got here, okay? Okay, give me a second here. The development of nuclear power plants for electricity generation has its roots in the discovery of nuclear fission and the subsequent development of nuclear weapons during World War II. After the war, attention was given to harnessing this energy in a controlled fashion for naval propulsion and for making electricity. Isn't it funny how that happened? The first nuclear power plant was built in the 1950s and globally, global installed nuclear capacity grew rapidly during the 1980s. <laughs> yeah, boy have they ever. Um, yeah, the development of nuclear power plants for electricity generation has its roots in the discovery of nuclear fission and the subsequent development of nuclear weapons during World War II. It does not get any more clear than that, now does it, kids? <laughs> That's why you always keep looking. You never just stop. And until you figure out how stuff gets started, you keep looking, okay? After the war, because once you, once you get to certain key points, it opens up again, right? It's like this, you can see clearly now, the sky is opening up. After the war, attention was given to harnessing this energy in a controlled fashion for naval propulsion and making electricity. While Oppenheimer's work on the Manhattan Project 
and his contributions to theoretical physics, including quantum mechanics, were instrumental in the development of nuclear weapons, it is not clear that his work directly led to the development of nuclear power plants for electricity generations. What they're saying here, I, I was trying to see if anybody had in any of their books talked about, did he go to any meetings to talk about this stuff? And it didn't appear like his name showed up anywhere. But that doesn't mean anything. I'm just showing you that I was looking, right? Keep looking. Okay, nuclear energy also creates jobs, supporting nearly half a million jobs in the U.S. and creating a contributing an estimated $60 billion to the U.S. domestic gross product. Um, because I was looking for, I was over on that. Sometimes that chat bing thing is good, sometimes it's, I don't know, I just use it at different times, but they said I couldn't, I, I kept looking to see if I could find him in anybody, people have written a billion books about Oppenheimer. Um, I would really suggest that you go look at a um, show about the history of the Manhattan Project, how they set that up, brought in all those people, all those support people were brought in, and all those people from the indigenous people from the surrounding areas went to work there because it was a, a huge deal and everybody ended up getting cancer. As a matter of fact, I think um, Oppenheimer got cancer and they said it was from, well, he, he changed smoke, but he had cancer and some other key guy had cancer, but anyway, so, um, and said, I couldn't find any information in my sources that suggest J. Robert Oppenheimer directly consulted on the development of nuclear power plants. After World War II, became chairman of, yeah, okay. Um, so, and the first commercial nuclear power plant in the United States was the Shipping Port Atomic Power Station in Western Pennsylvania, which came online in 1958. Um, so some of this stuff, um, um, let me see here, what I'd been looking at was this, for some reason, um, I'm, I'm going through the timeline now, yeah, this is the timeline, okay, um, Plutonium was first produced and isolated on December 14, 1940, okay? Plutonium, isolated, 1940, by this Dr. Glenn Seaborg, S-E-A-B-O-R-G, and another character named Joseph W. Kennedy. And um, they were the ones who first discovered plutonium. On February 23, 1941, they, um, so anyway, so let me just go along here. So, 1940, there's a group of scientists that first discover plutonium, okay? Um, and that Kennedy guy, he died at the age of 40 after a battle of cancer. And it said, it was said he inherited this cancer from his mother's side. <laughs> I'm not a doctor and I wasn't there, but yeah, okay. Well, maybe his mother also worked in nuclear energy. But anyway, so um, so yeah, Joseph W. Kennedy, not to be confused with the other Kennedys. Um, so he got a lot of positions after that discovery of plutonium. He's a big deal. And they won a Nobel Prize in chemistry in 1951, okay? Um, so 
what I didn't know um, was where plutonium, because a few shows ago I've been talking about plutonium for a while, right? So now that these things are kind of gelling in my brain, um, I, I thought they were making uranium at the Manhattan Project. But thinking isn't research, right? <laughs> plutonium was an important element for the Manhattan Project. And that's where it got discovered by this group there, right? Because it was discovered that an isotope of the new element, plutonium-239, could undergo fission and be used as fuel for an atomic bomb. The nuclear properties of plutonium had been measured soon after its discovery, and these properties showed that 239PU was an excellent candidate for the fizzle fuel for an atomic weapon. Okay. Plutonium production was essential for the Manhattan Project. Um, the first production rods of 239. Oh, and then what they did, I'm going down the dates here, okay, so now we're at 242. They have these plutonium productions going on, right? And they had the Oak Ridge in Tennessee big production facility go online in 1943. So while the wars are going on, right, they're over here on this side buzzing around with plutonium and the Manhattan Project, right? So, um, okay, plutonium production was essential for the Manhattan Project and scientists at institutions throughout the country were competing with isotope separation methods to create it during 1942. The first production reactor was made, plutonium-239, was made in 1943 at Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And I didn't know how important, I knew plutonium was a byproduct of nuclear power plants, because we've been talking about that recently, right? But I didn't know this part. Plutonium is important for nuclear power plants because, because it is created in the reactor as a byproduct, and we knew that, right? Cause, and also they can flush that out quicker, the plutonium. But anyway, so plutonium is important for nuclear power plants because it is created in the reactor as a byproduct, and over one-third of the energy produced in most nuclear power plants comes from plutonium. Plutonium recovered from reprocessing normal reactor fuel is recycled as mixed oxygen fuel or MOX, M-O-X. Plutonium is the principal fuel in a fast neutron reactor and in any reactor, it is progressively bred from non-fissile U-238 that comprises over 99% of natural uranium. So yeah, so um, I thought they made plutonium there, but I don't know. Maybe I'm a little bit confused this morning. But anyway, so yeah, it's a big element in the... And remember, they named all this stuff too, right? I didn't come up with the name plutonium and it's Hades business and the... Jupiter and all this stuff. <laughs> so, 
Okay, now have I gone backwards here? Yeah, a little bit. Okay, let me see here. Okay. Let me try to recover this. Um, okay, I'm going to back up. My, I have a new timeline here. Uh, 1939, that was when Albert Einstein signed a letter that set this whole thing off, okay? He, Albert Einstein in 1939 signed a letter addressed to President Franklin D. Roosevelt advising him to fund research into the possibility of using nuclear fission as a weapon as Nazi Germany may also conduct such research. Okay, so um, anyways, I'm just going to point out the highlights. This could really travel into the mud here because I think you get my point here, right? Because this, this, this next timeline will help to show you how all these dates seem to work together for all of this to be for the working for nuclear power plants not for anything else okay and how would how would they possibly have tested these things without wars right because they can't just go around throwing bombs all over the place and people get wise to that right <laughs> so, even the suggestion of war made people agree with them because this has been all about fear, secrecy, and panic, right? Okay, so 1941, they conclusive, conclusively discover plutonium, okay? And 1941, Japanese attack Pearl Harbor. Same day, 1941, Germany and... Italy declare war, 1941, 1942, these maniacs discovered napalm. Uh, I haven't talked about napalm yet. I don't, <laughs> anyway, 1942, Manhattan Project starts, okay? First use of napalm, 1942. Um, 1942, Roosevelt formally authorizes the Atomic Bomb Project. They decide to centralize plutonium work at the University of Chicago, and somehow they were able to pull off that test so quickly. We're still in 1942, moving along here. Um, all these people are getting hired. Um, this is a key point. Um, this Lieutenant Colonel Kenneth Nichols meets Edgar, important name, jot it down, S-E-N-G-I-E-R, in the New York offices of Union Marie. Nicholas had been ordered by General Groves. Now, Groves is the general who started the Manhattan Project who hired Oppenheimer, okay? So, Nicholas, Kenneth Nicholas, had been ordered by General Groves to find uranium. Remember, <coughs> we're still in 1942. Sengir's answer has become history. You can have ore now. It is in New York. A thousand tons of, tons of it. I was waiting for your visit. So this guy allegedly had a thousand tons of ore, uranium ore, waiting right there. Funny how that happened, right? Nicholas reaches an agreement with Singler that an average of 400 tons of uranium oxide will begin shipping to the U.S. from Shkiskabi each month. And this is important. The place where it's shipping from um, is S-H-I-N-K-O-L-O-B-W-E. 
And actually, I look it up, can't remember. Is it Russia or China? I, I don't want to guess. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> check, <coughs> check my facts on that one, okay? So we're still in 1942. The Manhattan Project is given permission to use the highest wartime priority rating. Okay. September the 29th, they authorized the Corps of Engineers to acquire 56,000 acres in Tennessee for Site X, which would become the Oak Ridge, Tennessee Laboratory and Production Site. Moving along, the next month in October, 100 tons of Sengir's uranium ore is sent to Canada for refining by El Dorado Mining and Refining in Port Hope, Ontario. Well, we're just moving along, right? Uh, in October, a special detachment of U.S. Army Corps of Engineers arrives in the Belgian Congo. Oh, that's where that mine was from. Okay. In the Belgian Congo to reopen the Shinkabi mine. S-H-I-N-K-O-L-O-B-W-E mine in the Belgian Congo. Work involved draining water from flooded working, upgrading the plant. Oh, sounds like a mess. Okay. Um, and October Groves appoints Oppenheimer to coordinate the scientific research at the project site Y. So, and then November, boy, they're really clipping along here, right? The first uranium oxide shipment leaves the Congolese point of Lobito. It would later change to Matadi because of better security. Only two shipments will ever be lost at sea. Boy, that's reassuring, isn't it? Um, so yeah, um, the U.S. <laughs> the U.S.S. Remember before the S before the CIA, they had the O.S.S. Okay, in 1942, the O.S.S. is employed to prevent <laughs> or smuggling to Nazi Germany. Okay, November 1942, Groves and Oppenheimer visit Los Alamos, New Mexico, and designate it as the location for site. Why? And I got to tell you, please go watch some documentaries about this stuff when they moved all this stuff in. And remember, all of, none of these people were told how dangerous this was going to be, okay? In 1942, that's when the first nuclear reactor goes critical at the University of Chicago under the leadership and design of Enrico Fermi. Achieving a self-sustaining reaction just one month after construction was started. So this is the interesting thing. He supposedly started in the bleachers. On, well, <clears throat> now that I know a little bit more about nuclear, and I've become like, kind of like a junior nuclear scientist myself, I don't believe that this thing happened there. But you'll have to look further for yourself. But it doesn't make any logical sense that they're in Illinois under some <laughs> basement of some university they did this. Okay. Okay. <coughs> um, Plutonium is created, as I already talked about all this stuff. I'm going to be skimming along here. Um, I think you're starting to get the point here, right? Um, okay, so that was 1942, okay? 1943, Groves approves the development of the Hanford site. So they're buying more property there, and then they're moving into the Los Alamos Laboratory is established, 1943. Moving right along, um, the University of California becomes the former, the 
formal business manager of the Los Alamos Laboratory. You're starting to see how the military and universities all kind of mingle together. Okay, um, so construction begins. Yeah, they're busy little bees now, aren't they? It's all just kind of blowing together. Um, anyway, so um, the first plutonium production facility was the B reactor at the Hanford site in Washington State which was part of the Manhattan Project during World War II. See, I didn't, I didn't know that Hanford was part of Manhattan. So, construction of the B reactor began in 1943. So, the B, they started construction of Hanford in 1943. Clipping along here now, aren't they? The B reactor at the Hanford site near Richland, Washington, get your houses listed for sale if you're in the area, <laughs> was the first large-scale nuclear reactor ever built. The project was a key part of the Manhattan Project, the United States Nuclear Weapons Development Program during World War II. Its purpose was to convert natural uranium metal into plutonium-239 by neutron activity for use in nuclear weapons. The B reactor has been designated as a historical place. Oh yeah, okay. Um, so the B reactor had its first nuclear chain reaction in September of 1944. So there we are in 1940s, okay. And uh, they're, they're in Oak Ridge, they're breeding plutonium in 43, 45. Um, they're doing some testing. Um, the Hanford plutonium, the first Hanford plutonium arrives at Los Alamos, February 1945. Starting to see how this uh, timeline starting to pull together here. 1945, May the 7th, Nazi Germany formally surrenders to Allied powers, marking the end of World War II in Europe. They also did a hundred ton test explosion in Alamogordo, New Mexico. So, um, yeah. They had a meeting then about to finalize the list of cities on which atomic bombs may be dropped. They were talking about Kokura, Hiroshima, Niigata, and Kyoto. May the 30th, they started dropping bombs. Um, that was 1945. Gee, they really whipped this stuff together, really. Um, there's just a lot here. Um, 1945, August the 9th, B-29, Boxstar drops a Fat Man implosion-type plutonium weapon on the city of Nagasaki. The secondary target as a primary, Kokuro, is obscured by cloud and smoke. August the 12th, the first release to the public about the development of the first atomic bombs. Well, um, there's just a lot. Japan sur surrenders then. <clears throat> um, then they were 1945 to the Vietnam War. Many of the military regarded napalm as an effective weapon of war. Curtis LeMay 
the Air Force general who devised an effective strategy for firebombing, including the use of napalm during Japan, repeatedly advocating incendiary bombing on a ground that the whole purpose of strategic warfare is to destroy the enemy's potential to wage war. So yeah, um, plutonium was used in the atomic bomb. Um, and it said that the 21 kiloton explosive charge for the bomb detonated over Nagasaki was provided by about 6.2 kilograms of plutonium 239. So yeah, they really needed to have that plutonium, a pretty key factor. Interesting that Pluto, um, so it said plutonium was used in the atomic bomb, the Fat Man bomb, which was detonated over Nagasaki on August the 9th, 1945, was an implosive type nuclear weapon with a solid plutonium core. It was built by scientists and engineers at Los Alamos Laboratory using plutonium from the Hanford site. A gun-type nu nuclear weapon is a design in which an explosive propellant is used to fire one subcritical mass of fission material down a gun barrel into another subcritical mass. This type of weapon is simpler in design and can be only made with highly... I don't know why I'm looking at that. Um, oh, I was looking at... Um, there's two kinds. They have a gun type implosion on nuclear and implosion type. Um, we're looking at the implosion type. The implosion type nuclear weapons uses a chemical high explosives to compress a subcritical mass of fission material into a denser critical mass. The type of weapons can be constructed with either plutonium or highly enriched uranium or a composite of the two. It is more complex to build and to design and build, but it is also more effective, requiring less fissile material to obtain a given yield compared to a gun assembly device. Well, that's good to know. Okay, 1946. Um, 1946. Truman signs the Atomic Energy Act of 1946 into law, ending almost a year of uncertainty about control of atomic research in post-war United States. 1947, um, the Atomic Energy Act of 1946, known as the McMahon Act, takes effect, and the Manhattan Project is officially turned over to the United States Atomic Energy Commission, 1947. Manhattan District is abolished. 1947, well, they did all their good deeds now, didn't they? Um, and then 1946, gee, it seems like I'm out of date here, but anyway, they did the nuclear testing on Bikini Atoll, 1946, and then also I was doing these dates to compare them. Because remember, at the same time that the U.S. was over here, testing these things, the Soviet Union was over there. And look at my timeline. If you're not suspicious, then I don't know, because the 1920s, Russia nationalized the oil, standard oil got broken up here. 
those noble people fled to Sweden. I mean, come on, there, a lot, a lot happened around this time, right? So, um, and around the same time, the Soviet Union was bombing people from 1949 to 1989, testing all those things over there. And then Rocky Flats, that weapons plant near Denver, did a huge show about that. It started in 1952. Um, because what they were doing along this time was this. Um, they were looking at... Um, they were looking at... Um, let me back up here a second, okay. They were here, and Rocky Flats began in 1952 to get all this plutonium, right? But now we know they need that plutonium for those nuclear power plants, right? So Rocky Flats becomes key in all this because they've already done the war, they've already figured all this stuff out. Now they've got to figure out how to weaponize those nuclear power plants, right? Well, they got to sell the nuclear power plants as cheap electricity, right? Always a deal on these cheap deals, right? Evil always has to come packaged as help because we didn't need electricity in the first place. So, okay, so anyway, so where was I? Oh, so so they're at Rocky Flats, uh, 1952 to 1989. And so that gave them the ability, the first commercial nuclear power plant in the United States was the Shipping Port Atomic Power Station in western Pennsylvania, which came online in 1958. So somehow between the Rocky Flats thing, they were building <laughs> this atomic power station in Pennsylvania, right, to get, get the plutonium for these power places, right? Uh, so and this is all under the International Atomic Energy Association. They all belong to that, okay? So if you want to see if your country is involved, it has 176 member states as of March 2023. Um, so they say that two people, Andorra and Bhutan, are not involved. Uh, Bhutan is not a member of the International Atomic Energy. Um, so anyway, so because of the war, they were able to come up with all of these. Uh, oh well, let's 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 make these non-proliferation, right? Let's let's uh, come up with these different agencies to control this stuff, right? So because you know what's interesting is Iran. I-R-A-N, bomb, 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 Iran. Um, remember when John, um, what's his face, was singing that song? These people are just lovely, aren't they? They, they? they talk about murdering other people, and they sing it, right? And they, they make jokes about it. So, bomb, 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 Iran. Um, well, look at a map. All you have to do is go, map of Iran surrounded by U.S. military bases. And Iran has, I think, 40 or 50 U.S. military bases surrounding it. <laughs> I guess nobody has ever heard of um, unmarked planes, right? How easy would it be for the U.S. military to travel between Iran and themselves, <laughs> keeping it all secret, <laughs> flying unmarked planes, right? All you do is have a bunch of unmarked planes hanging around your base, and when you got to drop off some f stuff to your so-called enemies, but really your friends in Iran, you just fly over there with an unmarked plane. Um, <laughs> so... Okay, so yeah, so they were coming up with all these plans about don't 
don't hit us with more nuclear weapons. Well, you see how this has turned out? The reality is, is that hiding exactly in plain sight, <laughs> they now are putting up nuclear power plants all over the place. Um, about, according to the International Atomic Energy Association, about 30 countries are considering planning or starting nuclear power programs for the first time. These countries include Poland, Ghana, Kenya, the Philippines, and Indonesia. Countries including Belarus, Iran, Romania, the Czech Republic, France, the UK, and South Africa are planning to add to their existing fleets. Several countries in Europe are exploring the possibility of adding nuclear power to their energy mix. Currently, South Africa is the only nuclear operator in Africa with two reactors at its Coburg nuclear power plant, but it is considering extending the life of the plants and expanding its nuclear power program. Other African countries that are considering planning or starting nuclear power programs include Algeria, Ghana, Kenya, Morocco, Niger, and Nigeria. China is one of the world's largest producers of nuclear power. As of December, because there's this thing between some of them are power and some of them are commercial. As of December 31st, 2021, China, well, it isn't the largest. These headlines become misleading because the U.S. is the largest. But China has 51 operational nuclear power units and 20 nuclear power units under construction. And you'll read all kinds of different numbers because I read something last night that had me laughing because now they're claiming, they're really upping the ante, now they're claiming that nuclear power will provide 20% of electricity. But in all actuality, it looks like, uh, coming back to reality here, it looks like China has 51 operational and 20 nuclear power units under construction, but nuclear power accounted for five 0.02% of the total electricity mix in China in 2021. The impetus for nuclear power in China is increasingly due to air pollution from coal-fired plants, and China's policy is to have a closed nuclear fuel cycle. And that's another brilliant part about this whole strategy, right? You get these fuel plants up now because... Um, they could point to things like China and all this excessive coal burning. Well, remember, they're, they're harvesting this stuff from the sky. They do not have to burn coal. coal. <laughs> so, if you're going to pull a trick, okay, what you'd want to do is you'd want to use something like coal, right? Because as your, as your decoy, let's call coal the decoy, because they're not producing electricity in these plants. So if you're just going to sit around and burn a bunch of coal, maybe they're producing some steam. I don't know. I have gone on a million videos and tours of these places, and I could get really boggled down by telling you all the reasons why I'm saying this. But I can tell you this right now. I think they put up big buildings because that's impressive, right? I think they put up big buildings within these buildings, from what I've seen, that have places to, now they're saying, oh, this part of the building is to clean up the coal, okay. <laughs> um, and they also say that coal can be a couple cents, that they charge us a couple cents 
on the weekends, right? So that makes coal, like, ridiculously cheap, right? And they've been proposing all along that nuclear will practically be free, right? <laughs> so if you're going to pull off a scam and you're a greedy psychopath, coal would be a really good thing to pull your scam off with, right? Because then you could use coal to, prov to provide the pollution that you're going to need to sell the next stage of the eugenics plan, which is get everybody to get these nuclear plants all around. So I guess the idea is then they can get every country. What they're probably going to do with these countries is this. And remember, I'm only guessing, right? All these countries are desperate for money, right? Well, they always promise jobs and stuff like that along with the money, right? So you get a bunch of desperate people in Africa and places. I'm not picking on Africa, I'm just using an example. You get them, you say, okay, we're gonna help you build a $5 billion nuclear plant. And here's, here's how the loan's gonna work out. See how this is all gonna work? Well, and all along, this whole thing could have been stopped in the very beginning if, if we had understood that we didn't even need electricity, that our bodies are electricity, <laughs> so we don't need more electricity supplies. We never needed the first element of this whole thing, just like we didn't need that first vaccine that they cooked up, but somehow we didn't seem to grasp that part of the eugenics trick they pulled on us, right? It has been very simple, very cost-effective, <laughs> and very active. <laughs> so, so yeah, so the push now is to get these places all over the place, um, and uh, I don't, I you know remember it's a game board, it's a game board, um, and uh, you know I don't know how they protect themselves in all this. The, the logistics of what they have going on with getting these power plants all set up. That logistics will probably be pretty simple to handle because what they're just going to need to do is rob a bunch of taxpayer money to get these people facilities set up, right? So it's only, and they're the ones printing the money. So really, they're all screaming about these things cost so much. Well, that's probably because they're going to say they cost so much, and then probably down the road they're going to say, oh, look, because we're now doing so many of them, we can get the cost down. Because in the end, they probably won't have to do any of them, right? Because the whole purpose is to get those things up and running and just sitting there, right? Ticking time bombs. Ever heard of that word? Um, so, yeah. So, I am a million, a million, a million, and another million convinced that this is about eugenics. It is not about electricity. And somebody will have to explain to me, how do they get this nuclear... Um, these um, stuff in, from these nuclear places over to these power stations, right? <laughs> what are the logistics of transporting the so-called power they're getting these power stations over to the power plant that they then feed into our home? It doesn't happen. This is all a big trick. It looks big. It looks fancy. It looks like it's really technical, like we never understand this stuff. But trust me, I understand it, okay? Or I certainly would not be sitting here saying that I'm a thousand. After all these years of research, I'm not going to go out on some big crazy scheme. A hundred percent, this is what is going on. And um, why? Well, look at, their, look at their Pluto deal, right? Replay the first part of my show. Pluto is their deal. Pluto is about death. This is about their deal on the game board and what they see as a future for the rest of us. 
So while everybody is racing around right now on social media involving themselves with this or that, or is JFK going to be president or not, or, you know, this whole JFK thing and president thing, you know, this, this whole, you know, Biden stumbling off stages and stuff, <laughs> this is all theatrics to take everybody in the world's eyes off of what is really going on. And I stake the last 25 years of my work, and I say that these psychopaths have cooked up these nuclear power plants as a way to put sitting things right there out in the open. And what better example of evil coming packaged as hell? And for some reason, don't know why I gotta close off. Well, I gotta close off here because I gotta. Um, I will post if you go over to my website and you click on the um, tab for smart meters. I'm gonna post the um, map that shows all of the transformers around my house. And some people might say, "Well, that's kind of crazy, posting your house on the internet." It's like. Why would I really care? Go listen to my show about I'm being murdered in my own home. The killers obviously know where I am. That's that's the number one thing. I used to watch all these mysteries and crime shows and stuff. And the, the whole theme of those things was the killer's out there. You don't know where he is. <laughs> I'm telling you who the killer is. The killer is these psychopaths, okay? They worship Saturn. They're the 1%, the elite. I, I put their video up over on my, thing, on my website. Not hard to find. Uh, that is who they are. It is how all this stuff works. And uh, for some reason, I'm going to play this song about New Orleans. I, I, I'm not done with New Orleans. For some reason, something is still up in my brain about New Orleans. So don't know when I'll be back, if I'll be back, or what's going on. It is um, extraordinarily rugged around here. Um, it's hard watching my pets being this sick, but you know we're, we're tough. We all knew we all knew that this was going to be our role on the game board, and so I certainly am not complaining. But you know we're have some pretty hot weather going on. <laughs> I refuse to run the air conditioning, and you know they don't know this, but I do try to tell them all that. I I do try to explain to my pets that trust me. They're better off with me not turning the air conditioning on because the only reason that I've extended our time on the game board is by <laughs> having an ironclad agreement to not use more electricity. <laughs> because once they get us disabled, I gotta tell you, the whole idea of these extra transformers all around me now are to completely zap us out. So um, yeah, uh, it, it feels like it's kind of it's kind of weird because you know I know I, I know intellectually in my mind that when this is all over I go back to wherever we're from it's a developed society and this is just all a bunch of but it, it's an exciting time to be here right because it's the end of this game board we've all been coming down to this thing called Earth and practicing our spirit whatever we've been practicing right obviously they took over whatever this game board was, you know, a few hundred years ago, and they cooked up electricity and all the ways to disable us. And we, being the good people that we were, didn't recognize what evil was. So they did a heck of a job hiding the definition of what psychopaths are. And the more they could hide that, the more people would be unaware of who they were. Because if everybody is looking for a psychopath to be a killer hiding behind the school benches that, you know, waiting to get the girls coming off the football field with a knife to the back, they're not going to be looking for the executive like Larry Fink who's running things, okay? So 
their whole dynamic was first to get us away from who they were, and then the other part was to clearly get us, <laughs> get our eyes off of what's going on right now at this very minute. And there is no doubt in my mind right now. And if I have any doubt, certainly I will log right back on, grab the microphone, turn it on, and let you know. But in the meantime, I need to close for now and kind of catch my breath a little bit here. So I'm going to be playing a song called The House of the Rising Sun. New Orleans. Something's still going on in New Orleans.
safe out there. I don't know if I'll get the microphone on again. But I'm here to tell you, you can do anything you want to do. It's all available for us. It always has been. They just convinced us that we were stupid and they were smart. Never stop looking. Keep that mind open. Keep your head on a swivel. The game's going to get really rough ahead. I probably won't be here to see it to the end, but I'll be there at some point. I'll be watching. And just know, keep your head up high and help the most vulnerable. And be safe out there. If I can, I'll turn the microphone on.
Watching them, looking, mixing back again. 